This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. This uh, housing issue, I keep seeing houses get built and I see stories about building and I see concepts that things are going into the ground, shovels, cranes, diggers, all of it. And then I see this stat over the weekend, the average asking rent in Canada got to another high and this is Canada. So in Toronto, you'll be like, oh, I'd take that. But remember, this is Canada. So this is Charlottetown. This is Saskatoon. This is Yellowknife. Like you're counting all towns and cities in Canada and the average rent for a one bedroom place is $2,078. Sorry, that's all property types. So this is not just apartments, but it's houses as well. If you're renting a four bedroom house, point being it's at 2078 now in July of 19, when things were just much different in our landscape, Still not great and still something to work on, but it was $1,793. So that's a that's an increase of close to $280 everywhere across the country. And you may say, I'm paying more than I was, way more than $280 plus compared to three years ago. I know you probably are. I believe you because you are in the Toronto area or the greater Toronto area or the GTHA or even southern Ontario. Rent, by the way, growing in Calgary more than anywhere else, according to rentals.ca. at 16% uh, year over year. Toronto is 11%. Like, we're fifth, but it doesn't feel like that's anything to brag about uh, right this particular moment. Um, and remember also, the difference between the asking and the listed rented price right now is minimal because most people are getting what they're listing and asking is the same thing, and they're getting that. Maybe they're even getting more. You hear, um, oh, well, they got above asking or they paid above asking. When you hear that phrase, you do realize demand far, far outstrips supply. So um, the Conservative Party leader of Canada made uh, a video over the weekend that was quite impactful, so much so that Jennifer Keysmat, who ran for mayor, who I would call progressive, I would call left of center, said, yes, this, all of it. It was about density, and I'll give you some of the concept, but Pierre Pauly ever did a little tour of where he used to live in Calgary, went to university, he said, and he'd run for the train every morning. He was living with his dad, but made the point that this is... Now, again, I'm asking you to suspend your reality right now and tell me if this sound for 44 seconds sounds like a leader that you would just say, well, that's just plain common sense. Here it is. We need to approve high-density apartments around every future transit station, something we don't do now. There are many stations across the country that took millions of dollars to build, but there's very little housing around them, even though there's available land. And that means that we're not getting the maximum potential out of the massive expense that we put into those transit stations. The federal government funds transit. My common sense plan is to use that funding as leverage. I'm going to say to the big city mayors, if you want federal money for your transit station, you have to approve high-density apartments all around them so that seniors and students don't even need to afford a car. Okay, that's where, and remember what I asked you to do, suspend your reality, don't think politics, think practicality. I know it's difficult to do, but this is a message that's going to win. Beyond all the other stuff, there's noise around every party right now. There's pros, there's cons, there's quirks, there's faults, there's benefits, there's drawbacks. But this is the message. And you need to hear, I need to hear, I think, all politicians at every level of government 
build apartments, condos, townhouses near transit. It's good for the climate. That sounded like a guy that cares about the climate. That sounded like a guy, he's planning on canceling the carbon tax. So you go, well, he's anti-environment. He doesn't care. He wants our world to be on fire. He just gave you something that suggested he wants an entire whack of people not to have to have a car. He wants an entire amount of people to be able to take clean energy public transit. That's good for the economy. And right now, we're not doing enough of these particular things. We're not building ghost stations uh, near where there are buildings. They built a new ghost station, in essence, in the middle of the Greenbelt, where I guess there's going to be houses going. But I bet you many of the people in those houses are not going to exactly be taking public transit. They'll hop in their Ford F-150s and their BMWs, not to stereotype, and they'll drive here, there, and everywhere. They'll drive three minutes to the grocery store. They just will. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. A a mayor in our province, basically, you know, if you call Kitchener, it's outside the GTA, but it's on the way here, and lots of people commute both ways, back and forth for work, for um, long-distance relationship, for sport, for whatever. And she can't afford to buy a house in the township that she was elected in. So that's an odd one. There's no doubt about it. Um, but there are some extenuating circumstances that we'll get to in a little bit. Takara Small, what did you think of that story when you read it? Did you think this is the new norm? This says everything about where we are right now. This isn't right. How did you view it? Oh, my God. Can I say all of the above? Um, because that's exactly how I felt. I mean, this particular mayor, she's 29, right? Mm-hmm. She's twenty twenty nine. Um, She seems to have, like, you know, followed a very traditional smart path. She went to Oxford University in London, London, England, um, and she worked for the province, I believe, and minister, agricultural minister, something like that. Um, And now she's the mayor. I mean, like, that's quite an ascent, right? At 29. I think so, yeah. And she's making 90K, and she still can't afford um, housing. She can't afford her own place, and she's living with her parents. And when I was telling my friends about this, they were all like, they like grabbed me, looked me in the eye and they're like, tell our story, Takara, tell, tell them of our journey. Because like for so many people, like, you know, in our like late twenties, mid twenties, like it's just impossible to find somewhere to live in this city. And even across the country, you were mentioning earlier in the show about how like the average for rent across Canada is something like $2,000. Yeah. I, I just... If it's that right now, I have no idea what it'll be like in, you know, 20, 30 years when people yeah. my age have kids. I you mean, the, you got it. All that stuff. The average home where she was elected sells for sold home sold for nine hundred sixteen thousand dollars. Um, I like again. Now, there are circumstances, I would say I'd love to see the numbers of how many 28-year-olds making 90K <laughs> living there, t- like 10 years ago, let's say. Yeah. 10 years ago, could afford their own place. Because I can't I can't claim to know, I, I haven't been that old for 20 years, okay? So I can't, I don't know a single person on one income, one income, mm-hmm. not without a partner, who bought their own home before age 30, unless it was somewhere really small. Like you'd hear about a story and you'd be like, so-and-so bought a condominium in Toronto because they're working there. And then you'd go up and visit them and it was like an icebox. Like it was tiny, even in, you know, 1998, even in 2003. So she's in a bad spot and the optics because of, of every and you and so are you and so are your friends. And we and we have to do everything imaginable at all levels of government 
to turn that around. But someone made the point, even if you drop her college debt, let's say she's I don't know what her student loans are. Alex Pearson's going to have her on at 1120. And I that's a great question to ask. How many you said she went to Oxford? Not cheap, not easy to get into academically. And I bet Mm -hmm. you not cheap. Mm -hmm. So unless she went on some kind of full scholarship and I bet you those are few and far between. um, It's understandable that I just think you've got this series of extenuating circumstances, which might have made it. More hard, how would I put it? More hard for her to car to buy a home 10 years ago, but it's utterly impossible now. And next year, it'll be almost as impossible. And the year after that, and the year after that. So it's not like you're, when I was 28, I didn't buy a home till I was, the summer I turned 30 and my wife turned 27. And we weren't making much money then, but we never had a doubt that we could do it. And that's the problem is, even even as we're talking, somebody who's 30 listening, or the parent of a, of a 24-year-old listening yeah. is going... How how will we do this? How will we help our own kids? I got a 17-year-old who probably won't need to buy a home for 13, 14 years, but he's he's going to go to university next year. And we talk about how we're paying the rent for wherever he goes all the time, all yeah. the time. Yeah. And what's interesting is that there are a lot of like some of my peers and friends who are like, we're just going to leave the country. Like they're just looking for work opportunities, visas outside of Canada. And I have friends in the U.S. who are doing the same thing. So it's you're having like, I would say, a pretty uh, educated, experienced group of people who are like, if I can't make it here, I'll just go somewhere else and give that country my expertise and the benefits of my education. Which is which is terrible to consider, because to me. At being being smart, being plugged in, being connected. I consider you to be all those three of those things, by the way. Oh, thank you. Of course. Oh, my God. My family members are going to be like, see, Takara. That's right. That's he right. He said it. But, <laughs> but saying that, this is a little like your, let's say you have great high school athletes. Yeah. and But the universities, like for good, good programs, women's basketball, football, whatever, your programs aren't very good. So all those best athletes leave your state. Well, then it becomes like, like, a, like a cycle. And it's yeah. really hard to reverse that cycle. And it's chicken and egg. We don't have good university uh, teams. Well, I know, but all the good high schoolers are leaving. Well, why are they leaving? Because you don't have good university programs. That's why. So we, if we have really smart people in our 20s who would be like, let's think about all the industries. This is like that, that we hear about where there's a bit of a brain drain right now or there's a, a you know, mass departures, teaching, nursing, people that, that fly airplanes. We lose those people because they can't afford to live here. We still need those people. Last I checked, we're increasing population. So yeah. more kids need to go to school. More kids need to go to university. More people need to get health care. Yeah. And we're losing people because they can't afford to live in those places. It's true. And, you know, the, the, I think what's, in, what, what's really important is sometimes, you know, gets left behind is that this has, like, been decades in the making, right? Like, yeah. there, we haven't been building enough houses for decades. This is, this is something, a problem that I feel like every kind of, like, political party is kind of just, like, kicked down the road. And now we're at a place where... We need provincial, we need federal, we need municipalities to all be on the same level because I, it's a problem that wasn't fixed 50 I'm years so ago. glad you said that because I can't remember who comes up with the phrase, if, if everything is a crisis, nothing is. Yeah. But if you, you hear politicians all the time, Takara, use the phrase, this is a crisis and that's a crisis. And there's a housing crisis and a healthcare crisis and education crisis and a police crisis. And a, blah, blah, blah. so it just people... Blur that. Out. Not only do they blur that out, 
but you also think about the pandemic. Okay, if everyone agrees, ooh, what is this? What should we do? And then everybody acts very fast, very quickly, whether it was right or wrong, shut this down, don't do this, don't yeah. go here, close the borders, get vaccines going right away. No matter what we think about all that now, everybody moved as one. And to your point about housing, all anybody's people are doing things, but they're also pointing fingers. Yeah. It's your fault, Mr. Politician. It's this party's fault. It was your fault five years ago more than it's my fault right now. And nobody's getting in a room like that Oshawa mayor said in the story I quoted last hour. Nobody's getting in a room and saying, we're not acting like the house is on fire. We're just pointing fingers at each other. And it's out on fire for people like you and people like my kids who will, um, you know, try and rent a house. I can't tell you. This might sound like a first world problem, but it's agonizing it's to talk with my wife and go, how could we? My son wants to go to U of T or TMU really badly. He oh, wants wow. to be a downtown Toronto kid 13 months from now. Yeah. And, and what am I doing to talk him into going to Dalhousie? Or to go to Alberta. <laughs> I didn't laugh when I said Dalhousie because I'd rather he went to Dalhousie than became an Alberta golden bear. But you see the problem. Nobody, yeah. none of our parents really had to do that. They'd be like, ah, it's a little more expensive. Ah, you know, we, it's your dream and you worked hard to get here. The last thing I want to do is pour cold water mm -hmm. on it to try and save a couple hundred bucks a month. But it isn't that anymore. It's thousands. Mm -hmm. It's thousands. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. You know I've said this before, and we were actually speculating, um, doing some educated speculating on it last week about the financial impact of the Taylor Swift concerts. All six are sold out now. Um, yes, many of us who got that uh, got that waiting list thing uh, didn't move an inch we didn't I, I actually thought more people would move but the vast vast majority of people that I heard had um, had signed up as a verified fan um, didn't move and they sat there because almost everybody I assume almost everybody who wanted tickets who got a code went ahead and bought the damn tickets how could you argue otherwise but we juxtapose this on the show with Sort of the trade-off that was going to be basically you've got a venue, you got to pay for some security, but parking lots are going to benefit and hotels are going to benefit and restaurants and bars are going to benefit and airlines are going to benefit from people flying in. They are the only Canadian dates, right? We waited a couple weeks right now. Nothing in Vancouver, nothing in Calgary. At that time of year, you can't play Calgary's McMahon Stadium. Vancouver's probably the only other logical place, and I don't see it because she's already been to the West Coast a couple times. So we juxtapose that also with the 2026 FIFA World Cup. You know I'm a massive soccer fan. I'm obsessed. I can't wait till for these Women's World Cup semis to get going starting tomorrow morning. But almost every other venue that they've chosen is an NFL stadium, kind of like the ones Taylor Swift have been playing, and they're all plug and play. You don't need to tweak Dallas. They don't need hundreds of millions of reparations and adjustments to Kansas City where the Chiefs play or Foxborough, Massachusetts where the Patriots play. But you do here in Toronto – because the venue's not big enough. So we've already got a deal that ain't great. And uh, a great Toronto Star op-ed um, by our next guest. Uh, she ran for city council. She got a, got a, got uh, into the journalism game over the weekend. And everybody, uh, I, at least four or five people, sent me this article. Taylor Swift's Toronto Concerts Revealed Bad World Cup Deal for Toronto. And I think she's right on the money on this. She is April Engelberg. Also, I should point out, Taylor Swift ticket holder for now. 
Are you are you sure there's not going to be any fallout with you and your friend? Like, there's not going to no controversy. I I know there's like people that have gotten married and they like they change their wedding party. They 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 drop a a bridesmaid two or three months. But that almost happened in the movie Bridesmaids. So I need you guys to stay tight for the next fifteen months. <laughs> no, we're we're going to the show, but also I already paid her and I already have the tickets <laughs> in my account. So. Okay, what a relief! Well, yeah, you're you're so happy. You can look at it. It's not like you can sleep with it under the pillow, but you can log on and look at it. That's the key, right? I can look at it. I can look at it on the Ticketmaster app. But also, just to give you a little bit of hope, there's still the Avion presale. So That's right, and I am an Avion. I do collect Avion uh, points. I forgot, almost forgot about that. With this Wednesday, I think. So you did yeah. a lot of work uh, with David Valentin. You did a lot of work looking at the numbers of this and. Of course, it's not comparable, um, given what and you looked at what Taylor Swift's shows have brought in, even when she does two shows in an NFL stadium. Denver, Colorado was an example you used. Yeah, exactly. So we did the math and the terrible deal that the city signed for hosting five games of the World Cup in 2026. It's three hundred million dollars of taxpayer money. And it's estimated to bring in around $307 million. I'm sure you've talked about this a lot. Yeah, yeah. And the city's on the hook, et cetera. Um, by contrast, what well, we did the calculations for Taylor, we did it two ways. The first way is we looked at how much it brought in for Denver for two nights. And then we multiplied that by six. So from that, we got $420 million. And again, that's U.S., but we didn't know if we should. We, we just we're more conservative. So we said 420 million. And then um, we also took the number that it's expected to generate for the U S economy, 4.6 billion. And we're a little bit more than 10% of those shows, but again, we were a bit more conservative. So we took 10% of that. And so 460 million. So we said it would be a benefit to to Toronto's economy anywhere from 420 to 460 million dollars. Well, and just, you know, just the bottom line is not having to as I mentioned off the top, April, not having to put really anything into infrastructure. The um the, the dome by the way is obviously they're doing the they've obviously redone the outfield for Jays games. They're going to redo the 100 level this off season, but that's all private money. That's all Rogers Blue Jays money. That's got nothing to do with the city putting in, but to your point, the city has hundreds of millions of dollars and they haven't started it yet um, to put into BMO Field to to adjust it for more seats for these World Cup games. Exactly. So so far, out of the three hundred million, twenty five million is pegged to do the renovations for BMO Field. But there's so many other parts of the deal that are bad for the city. For example, we're supposed to be hiring nine full time staff. They've now just put six city councilors in charge of overseeing this operation. Um, there's there's so many. There, there's other facilities that we have to upgrade, et cetera. There's just, we're not going to recoup our costs for this. And so we decided to use the Taylor Swift example just to demonstrate how bad of a deal it is because Taylor Swift is going to bring us a benefit of 420 to 460 million, whereas this may bring us 7 million, but also we might lose money. It's so far away 15 months ago, but you made the notation um, that not only does, you know, Taylor Swift come here, generate all this money for the economy. Of course, she takes a little bit herself. This tour is expected to generate a billion dollars the year's tour before it's all said and done. But she's quite benevolent and charitable and has and has gone to other cities and made massive donations for food banks. I'd like to think we're all in a better place 15 months from now 
with regard to food banks because we've never been in a worse place. But that's another economic uh, factor that I think a lot of people hadn't thought of. Exactly. So we would expect that she will give a massive donation to Toronto food banks when she when she visits for sure. And there's so many different there's so many different benefits. So obviously that's a huge benefit the food banks. Also, this would be relatively low season, right? November mm-hmm. 2024, and hotels are already getting booked. It's it, it first we use the example of Chicago. Chicago had a record-breaking hotel occupancy when Taylor played three shows there. So there's just so many different uh, parts of Toronto that will benefit, as you mentioned, the restaurant industry, the hotel industry. It's going to be incredible for our city. Well, you bring up the point as well is um, we don't have an unlimited run on hotels. And there are many times I'm sure you've had friends. Mm -hmm. I've had friends that say, oh, I'd love to come on a summer weekend. And then you do the you do the calculating in your head. Well, this is on like Caribbean Carnival is is a weekend in itself, even Canada Day weekend, even when the Jays play the Yankees, like like weird stuff happens in the summer that people come to the city for. And and November, as you said, it's about as low a a tie. Maybe January is worse because you're still a month before Christmas shopping and whatnot. You know, people get into that idea. But this is if, if Taylor Swift announced the shows in July of 2024, hotels would already be a problem. Exactly. So I think it it couldn't be better timing. And it's just so great because the dome closes and there's not that many venues that could that could have this event in November in North America. So I think it's great that we can be the ones to host it. It's April Engelberg joining us on uh, Toronto Today Um, on the on the FIFA World Cup deal itself. Um, when you first got wind of the story, again, you've gone through a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the finances. And when you were running last fall, I'm, I'm sure you were looking at what could be, you know, someone will ask me at a certain point in time, what could be what could we cut here? We're going to be running a deficit. We need to be really smart and stringent about money. When this news first came out that it just felt like a lose lose. If there's profit, MLSE is going to keep a lot of it. And if it somehow loses money and there isn't the demand we think there's going to be the city's on the hook. What did you think? I thought this is a terrible deal. I, that I, I understand people want to showcase our city. I really do. And I understand that sports brings people together. Uh, it's just about getting a better deal out of this, out of this event. It's, it's not, it's not good the way it is. And Exactly. The way that we ended it, the article, we said it's time for a new era of financial accountability at City Hall because it's the era's tour. But it is. It's just mm-hmm. we can't be out there saying that we don't have money for things like, you know, shelter for asylum seekers, for example. But then we have all this money for this. It just does. It doesn't work. No. And if anything, the Pan Am Games made some element of sense. Different era. That was eight summers ago. We hosted that. But we we had really decrepit facilities, so we needed new places for kids to have swimming lessons, and we and 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 adults to have aquafit classes, especially you know elderly adults. We needed places for kids to play and and go become better at the sport they chose. The World Cup does none of that for us. It does none of that for us. And there's only so many events. Toronto FC is not going to need forty five thousand capacity. The Argos aren't going to need forty five thousand capacity. There's never concerts there. It just it. This is for five matches, and that's it. Exactly. And if if it ends up going ahead, I hope we find some other use for these venues. I would I would love it for TF for TFC to be able to sell out forty five thousand seats, for example, or for us to be able to host mm-hmm. different kinds of events there. But 
Correct. <laughs> it's a bad deal. Yeah, yeah, it's a bad deal. You can read uh, April's work in the uh, Toronto Star this morning. Um, lots of people, like I said, passing it around over the weekend. Thanks so much. You're always welcome on the show. I appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Greg. April- I hope you get tickets this week. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. Fingers were crossed last week. I got to uncross them from last week and, and then recross them again for Wednesday. But uh, I appreciate it. April Engelberg joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. By the way, I'm just seeing this now. I'm glancing up and I'm seeing on TV that two city councillors in, in Toronto, um, Alejandro Bravo's one. I didn't spot who the other one was. You know how we opened up these pilot projects in parks uh, to let people uh, have a drink because I I mean, heaven forbid. Um, and and the signs that were brought out were gigantic. So now we have two city councilors, uh, you know, urging the city to, to have smaller signs. It looks like you could show a drive in movie on these. And it, like the signs have a big headline, alcohol in parks, and then it's the su- kind of stuff again. It feels like an Eileen. It feels like a Doctor Devilla news conference to me, where it's like, make sure you're uh, hydrated with other uh, uh, drinks. Make sure you're not suffering sunstroke. Make sure you eat at a point in time after drinking. I'm like, what on earth are we doing? And yeah, the signs are gigantic. And now, oh, it's Paula Fletcher uh, and Alejandro Bravo say the signs are big and unsightly. What was your first clue? That they were big and out and unsightly or even necessary. Perhaps some of this stuff is what uh, made our next guest uh, decide to run for mayor at some point in time uh, this particular spring when we had a mayoral by-election. And we're going to talk about something that he saw, I saw, other people saw that kind of went viral in uh, Leslieville yesterday. But he is Anthony Fury. How big a sign? How Should we make them the size of like billboards in, in, in every park that's got a pilot project going and Given the warnings of uh, of taking that extra sip of wine, what are we doing here? Hey, Greg, great to be back. And oh boy, these signs are really embarrassing. And you've got to wonder what's going on at City Hall in terms of the bureaucracy that sunken resources, our tax dollars, go into something like this. It is just cringe. I have a park across the street from my house, and there's one of these giant signs. I thought, man, the last place I'm going to be uh, having a drink is what sitting there. Like, are you supposed to sit directly in front of the sign as if it's like a zoo exhibit? It's like, oh look. You know, here's, here's the people testing out the alcohol in parks right in front of the sign. I, I think the sign itself is going to discourage people from, from having a beer in the park. It's unbelievable. All right. So this sign was up in a window um, in Leslieville and uh, and it was tweeted around and a lot of people saw it. And so I'll lay it out there for people who are just getting back into the news cycle this morning. Got sharps, question mark, want chocolate. And for every full sharps container, which is in essence um, a, a, a safe and a safe supply kit is the best way I can put it. If you return to counterfeit, which to be honest, does the work that they think is is helping a, a women's harm reduction program. If you take that sharps kit back to counterfeit, we'll give you a chocolate bar. But I saw this, Anthony, and I thought we can have our debates about safe supply, safe injection sites. But this looks like it's it's catering to younger people who shouldn't be around drugs or even know about drugs or even be considering going near needles. Like I, I, it's it's more a marketing issue than it is a practicality issue. How did you feel when you saw the sign? Greg, frustrated, outraged and being presented with yet another example of why this status quo around drug injection sites isn't working and why the people running the facilities are not making the best choices, to put it mildly. You're right. These signs do not at all indicate that this is not a promotion for children, that it's just for adults. And for all I know, maybe it is intended for children. It's unclear. It's in a a colorful uh, 
background and images. And it says, yeah, come go collect needles and we'll give you a chocolate bar. What's going on here? Where are our priorities? Who thought that this was a good idea? The sign needs to come down and there needs to be an apology for it. And that's we have situations right now, Greg, where people are frustrated with needles lying around and potentially children uh, bumping into them. You know, one of the reasons that I speak about why I ran for mayor in the first place is having lived downtown with small children near Moss Park. I grew tired of the fact that children couldn't go in playgrounds. My children, I had to say, no, you can't go in this playground because you'd inspect it for needles and you would find them. This is quite something that they've decided to do this. And let's not forget, this is the drug injection site that indirectly caused the shooting of that, that awful tragedy, that mother of two young girls who was killed just a couple weeks ago. It was this injection site. So we have yet another indication that uh, they really don't have control of their neighborhood there and they have skewed priorities. I think I think a couple of things about what you said. One is it's it's a shame where where we're at, but it is where we're at where parents have to tell younger kids if you're playing on your own. Once that once that release finally comes and kids are old enough to play on their and mine certainly have been for a while. I know you're moving. You got three kids, right? And you're moving in that direction. Probably what one can and two can't. You're telling them and having conversation, Anthony, saying don't pick up needles it's it's a shame we have to even tell them that because nobody needed to tell you and me that growing up that said um maybe maybe if you want your clients from this place to safely dispose of of these sharps then use an incentive that's not attractive to kids like uh, honestly you don't promise them an ice cream cone don't promise them a chocolate bar because this isn't catering to a 42 year old it's catering to a 12 or 13 year old that's how i read it and Greg, part of the deal as to why these sites were allowed to open in the first place, get a special exemption in the laws, is because they were told they had to keep the community clean. It's the job of the injection site workers to go around and clean up these needles. So what are they saying here? They're either saying that they don't care about the rule they're supposed to follow, they're too overwhelmed, there's too many needles, they don't have the resources to do it, or they just think it's a lark to come up with this idea that people should be uh, out and about doing all of this. It's yet another example that this ideology is failing us. And I think this particular site clearly needs to be put on pause. It needs to be shut down because the people controlling it don't know what's going on. Greg, when they had that special community meeting in the Leslieville area to talk about the aftermath of that shooting, the people who attended it in the public, they were gaslit. They were quite frankly uh, mistreated by a lot of the public officials who showed up to have that public presentation. They really the lineups at the mic with activists mm. who basically wanted to make people feel ashamed of the fact uh, that they don't like what's going on in their community and people should be outraged and they should be pushing back. We got 20 years of evidence showing that the more of these sites that we have uh, throughout our urban centers in Canada, the more overdose deaths and the more decay in the surrounding area. And this, this little sign, Greg, of, hey, kids, we'll give you a chocolate bar if you go grab needles is yet another sign. I think I th well, I'm hearing from a, a nurse right now who's texting into the show and she says, I've been in healthcare for 18 years. The, the amount of care they train us how to handle um, sharps, they train us how to handle um, drugs after they've been used, whether it's needles, syringes, whatever. So the idea, her point is the idea of encouraging kids to collect them is it, like it's beyond irresponsible. I don't get it. But this is where, again, Where's the mayor? I will say this. Where's the police chief? Where's we had a former police chief running that that, you know, uh, in Mark Saunders who documented this. Where's the current police chief to say something? I'd like to think not everybody's on vacation right now, Anthony. That's what I'd like to think. But I don't know when in situations like this. 
Yeah, and why is it that the activists who are running these sites end up having more sway than anyone else, than the police chief, than the mayor? I will say people should be very disappointed in Councillor Paula Fletcher, who's the councillor for that neighbourhood. When she was asked about the shooting, the main thing she actually did was pass the buck and say, well, you know, it's not a municipal uh, bylaw that governs this facility, so there's not much I can do. Very irresponsible on her part to not step up and do leadership for that community. We need people who are going to lead on this file. I know I wasn't successful in the mayor's race, Greg, but I can tell you I was very passionate about the drug injection side issue, uh, phasing them out, replacing them with treatment centers. I'm going to be staying on this file the next couple of years because regular parents have got to stand up and say this is not an acceptable direction we're heading in. And this is the most recent example of it. I think we've had, uh, again, like the, I understand the concept and I understand, Anthony, the debate about safe injection sites. I understand the goal is keep people alive, prevent accidental overdoses, make, make sure you reduce the spread of infectious diseases. Of course, all that. But when you're not combining it, when you when you don't take proper consideration to, to decide where those sites should be, when you're not pairing it in concert with education, with um, with the concept of of treatment, you, we're going nowhere. Like we're only going in one direction with this thing. It is only getting worse. It is not getting better. Oh, you've nailed it, Greg. And, you know, throughout the mayor's race, I would actually do some press conferences in front of the Young and Dundas drug injection site facility and actual users of the facility clients. They'd come up to me afterwards. They'd talk to me and they'd say, you know what? I'm with you on this. You know, I, I really don't like the situation I'm in in life and we got to go in a different direction. So pretty much everybody agrees that this situation is not sustainable. To your point, they're not actually advocating for treatment as much as they could. And here we go. We've got an example where they're, I think they're so disconnected from uh, reality, the people running a lot of these facilities, that there you go. They're saying, we'll, we'll give you candy, kids, if you go around and pick up the needles or, or whatever is going on with this terrible, ambiguous sign. They've, they've got to retract it and they got to apologize because it's clearly sending a lot of uh, confusing signals to Leslieville. We're going to try and get somebody from Counterfeit on um, to at least present their side of it. But I appreciate you presenting yours, Anthony. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great day, Greg. All right. There's a former mayoral candidate. Call him as well. Anthony Fury joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Gord Depp, Sandy Horn, and the Spoons will be part of uh, the CNE Bandshell lineup. A lot of Toronto Today guests recently as well. We had the great Jan Arden on a month or so ago. We had Amanda Marshall on before she had her big comeback tour, played Massey Hall. Both those artists at the CNE Band Shell and so much more at the X. And the X came back and back with a vengeance last fall. And we're starting it off again this coming week. We'll have tickets to give away, by the way, for the CNE to you in the eight o'clock hour. And we'll tell you how we're doing that. Um, we're happy to do that and uh, thrilled with our relationship with the CNE. Daryl Brown joins us now, CEO of the CNE. When I say back with a vengeance last year, Daryl, it, it really was. Um, we'd missed it so much in 2020, 2021. You had huge numbers. I remember going to one of the Toronto FC games, spending the day on the Sunday at the X, on the rides, at the exhibits and whatnot going to a soccer game that night, and then you come home, you collapse in your bed, and you're like, that's what that feels like again. It's a pretty awesome feeling. Yeah, it was a pretty wild ride. It was great to see. And, and you know, you and the media really helped us out last year as well. Everybody came out and supported us, and we ended up with, you know, almost 1.6 million people coming in. And, uh, and, they, and, and on site, they spent more than probably they ever did before. So mm. it, it, could, it was all that we could ask for. People also, I'm seeing this, uh, advanced ticket sales are up. And uh, and I know we're going through what we'd call inflationary times. What that tells me, Daryl, is people see the X as 
great. Either they they think like I do, and they're like, "What a tradition!" They remember it reminds them of their youth. It connects them with the city so much, no matter where they live now. But also, people view it as great value for the dollar if advanced ticket sales are up uh, that high compared to previous years. Yeah, I mean, there's not many places in this city you can pay $20 and have all of the events to choose from that you have at the X. It's still, I think, one of the one of the cheapest ways to enjoy a, a day that you can find out there. So, I, I, you know, I think people appreciate that and uh, and are really up for uh, coming out this year. Now, you had um, you were working on last year at this time, so you can update our listeners. And I'm not even all up to date. I was looking around last night. Um, you needed a new agreement um, with uh, with um, the city of Toronto. Did you indeed get that, or are you working off the old one right now? Yeah, we did. I mean, it was an interesting situation because as far as we were concerned, we really had the right to extend for a couple of years under the force majeure clause of the old agreement. But um, the city and X place had wanted to negotiate during COVID. We didn't want to do that, but uh, so we, we sought it off halfway. We extended the old agreement to cover 2022, and then got together in September, and we came to an agreement in a couple of months, and uh, everyone's uh, approved that, City Council, Board of Governors of X Place, and ourselves. So we're set to go for another five years. So the city, it, it's a—it's an interesting relationship, and even with this land, and you, I'm sure you've read about all the Ontario Place controversies, a lot of divergent opinions about that, but, but everybody kind of shares in the X's um, success when it happens. CNE is a tenant of Exhibition Place. Some of that land is city land, but obviously the province uh, benefits tremendously when the, C- when the CNE does well and, uh, and is successful. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, I mean, it, it's changed over the years. For the first 103 years, of course, we managed the site. But um, when, you know, in the mid-70s, when the Blue Jays franchise was awarded, uh, Paul Godfrey, who was chair of the Metro Commission at that time, wanted the, the city to take over. I think he had sites mm-hmm. on on uh, probably an NFL franchise in, in the offing. And, you know, it would have been easier to deal with at that time. I can't put words in his mouth, but mm-hmm. so it evolved over time. So now you're right. We rent the space um, and uh, it can be challenging. For example, we're going to lose 360,000 square feet of space next year because of new developments on site. Um, so, uh, you, we don't control our destiny the way we used to do, because, you know, if you look back at, you know, back in 1924, we did the plan sure. for 50 years of construction on site. We actually financed the construction of the food building, but that's not the way it is anymore. But in terms of the revenue, yeah, we pay, uh, uh, you know, over usually in a usual year, over $4 million. We got a bit of a discount because of the loss of land in the early part of of this five-year arrangement now and then we pay anywhere from five to six million in terms of services to to the city so they tend to get about 10 million dollars from from the pool of money that we collect from the fair and of course we uh, we finance our own way um you know we'll apply for grants every now and then but generally speaking what we plan we have to we have to cover we've got a 41 million dollar budget this year Daryl Brown is our guest. Uh, he's the CEO of the CNE, which gets going on Friday. We'll give tickets away every day this week uh, to go uh, go to the X beginning on Friday and all obviously running it through Labor Day weekend. You, when you mention the space that gets lost, how how will the 2024 X be different in that context than the 2023 X? Like, what do you what do you give up? What, what changes with the experience, if anything? 
Well, we have to use a lot of imagination. I mean, the real challenge there is that a lot of that space is where the midway goes now. Um, so there's obviously going to have to be a different footprint. Um, and we we look to other things. For example, we're uh, we're developing a metaverse platform that'll come out um, not not in time for this year's fair, but we'll be doing a, a number of things virtually to complement. And we also try and do things to supplement our income, like the Pink Floyd exhibition that's on now that's going to run through the CNE. What a huge hit that's been. Yeah, it's it's an incredible uh, exhibition. Have you had a chance to get down? No, I haven't, but it's it's on the list certainly before the kids go back to school. So I'm looking. I'm already looking at days going. My time's running out, and I got to get there for sure. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's such an iconic band, and and, and mm. it, this is museum quality. It was mm. at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London to start in 2017. So so things like that we we've been looking at doing for a number of years. We'd love to program the band shell. At other times, we've had some difficulty yeah. with that, trying to rent rent it from the city, but we're still pushing on that um, because I think there's things we can do outside of the fair period that can help us out. I only got I only got I got under a minute here, but you must be nobody wants to you know we're off the pandemic. Nobody wants to crow about the things they were right about, but I do think it's worth documenting that I was sure people would come back. You must heard people say, well, we'll never do that. We'll never do these things again. We'll never blow out birthday candles and we'll never go to buffets and we'll never, the, the CNE is about togetherness and it's about crowds and it's about, <laughs> you know, being together and, uh, and, and just that feel the smell of the food and all that stuff. You must've never had a doubt it would come back. No, I mean, the real challenge for us was, could we get to the point of putting it on? Because, yeah. you know, with, without being, without having assets, you know, we can't go to a bank and borrow money because our, our event is our event, but we don't own anything in terms of real assets, right? And so that we were in a pretty big hole, and so we did need to get that funding to get us to, to 2022, but we never doubted that people would come back. And, mm-hmm. they, you know, it was really, it was almost surreal. I mean, people were, at the end of the day last year, exhausted but still smiling. That's it. Going, going out and... They just enjoyed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. Well, anything we can do on our end, um, I, what I love about it is people who got to go as, as little kids with their parents now, are, it's like a band, right, that keeps evolving. You're like, oh, now we're seeing, uh, you know, people bring their kids to our shows. That's the X for me is is all these last several years getting to take my kids to these uh, these big CNE events and ride this and ride that and go to the food building. It's it's awesome. Thank you so much for the time, and we can't wait till it opens on Friday. My pleasure. Hope to see you there. You bet. Daryl Brown, CEO of the CNE.